Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. You realize we probably will put some violin music over the bits where you talk about being single still oh yeah and just put my phone number on it as well just so that you know people can get in touch (laughs) hello and welcome to from queer to eternity a podcast exploring what it means to us to be queer my name is scott hancock and every episode i'll be chatting to a different guest from the lgbtq plus community talking about their lives experiences and what queerness means to them and hopefully discovering just how much we all have in common Due to the nature of these conversations, certain themes, phrases or experiences discussed may be upsetting for some of our listeners, but generally we're here to celebrate queerness in all its forms and have a good time sharing our stories. This episode, I'll be chatting with... Daniel Brocklebank. So just to begin, Mm -hmm. thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'll start off by asking, what does the Q word mean to you? That's an interesting one. And I was actually only just the other day discussing this with a friend of mine who is also uh, gay. Hmm. And um, he's a little bit younger than me. I'm 41. Uh, He's. Oh, you don't look it, Dan. Oh, Scott, you. It's a good job you can't actually see me now. This is just (laughs) audio. (laughs) And we were talking about this word queer, which is obviously um, when I was young, Mm. queer was a defamatory term. Um, it was not a good word. It was what we were called by the press and yeah. uh, but, you know, what I was called by other people at school because I, I came out of school. We'll, we'll, we will get to that. But I understand that the word queer now um, has, has, has obviously been owned uh, and reformed to, to mean all sorts of things. Um, however, I've never felt quite comfortable with that word. No, it's interesting. I, I agree with that because I'm only slightly younger than you. Um, but, but with a very baby face. <laughs> but it's, it's that thing of, yeah, you're absolutely right. There was a, there was a long period where it was derogatory. And mm. it, it's still, however much it's been reclaimed, you, you can't help but wince slightly whenever... Mm. Um, you hear it, however, however positively it's deployed. Mm, I agree. I agree. I mean, for me personally, I mean, of course, language evolves constantly. Um, however, for me, I'm not sure it is a word that I would ever use to describe myself. So how would you define yourself? I am a gay man. Nice and simple. Yeah. So going back a bit, well, quite mm. a long way, 41 years. Yours. Let's set the scene. What was your sort of background like? Uh, where did you grow up? I mean, I know you're another Midlander like me. Indeed, yeah. I was born in, um, in uh, well, grew up near Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, and uh, so in, in, in the West Midlands, Warwickshire, Shakespeare's County. And, um, and had a very sort of rural upbringing. Um, you know, I, um, I grew up in, pretty much in the middle of a field. Um, you know, my parents uh, breed horses. My sister rides. Um, you know, it was all very. You know, it was country pursuits. Mm. Had a motorbike. Used to taz around the fields on the motorbike. You know, sheep. You know, it was. It was very. It was very rural. Um, and just and still is for them. So was that where you grew up for sort of until you're an adult? Well, no, 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 no. Well, the where they live now is not actually where I grew up. It's it's um, they've moved since then. But the, the setup is, you know, is it's sort of similar. Um, I left home uh, at sixteen hmm. and never went back. Um, so I it was it, it was it was funny for me being obviously when when I was a kid there was no internet there was no. You know, there was no way of accessing sort of information that wasn't either in a library or just shown on television or in a newspaper back then, obviously, you know. And um, 
of course, as most, uh, I, I'm assuming most uh, most people of my generation were brought up, you know, with the idea that their parents just brought them up as if they were straight. Mm. You know, and of course, you don't question that until you hit puberty and you start sort of, you know, realizing who you are rather than who everybody else perceives you to be. Um, and it terrified me because I grew up in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic. I remember seeing that commercial with John Hurt's voice. Mm. Um, and I remember, you know, society and people I knew, my family, talking about gay people as if they were these disgusting, leprous, you know, sort of just, you know, um, it, 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 realizing that that is what you were suddenly it sort of you know it, it, it threw up a huge number of questions obviously personally what was there anything that triggered it for you that made you realize yes this is absolutely who i am and did you actually i because i think a lot of uh gay people do go through a, a period where they think or certainly back in the day sort of hoped it might be a phase or mm. oh yeah oh yeah i remember that that thought process very clearly um i just I think what it was, was growing up where I grew up, as I said, very sort of country um, environment. And I just didn't quite fit in. Mm. And I never understood that as a kid. I just, I was just a bit shit at all the country stuff. Like I was shit at shooting. I was shit at horse riding. I didn't, I, I didn't take to riding a motorbike. I, I wasn't particularly keen on getting muddy and being outside when it was cold. And I'd have rather have been inside writing a story or playing the piano or, you know, doing something more arty. Yeah. Then when I was about 12, I think I was about 12 when I realized that, that I was gay, I do remember thinking, how the hell am I ever going to, you know, tell my parents about this? Because uh, having grown up in, in the 80s <laughs> under a Thatcherite government and, as you said, hoped very much that it was going to be a phase. By the time I was 15, I was very well aware that this was not a phase and, it, you know, it, it was not going anywhere. And uh, my parents, I had a very beautiful upbringing, very warm, very loving, very fun. Um, and they very much brought me up to uh, stand by my convictions, you know, um, and stick up for myself. And, you know, if I believed in something to to sort of fight for it. So at 15, I told them. Oh, wow. And, uh, well, it went down like a fart in a space suit initially. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were 15, that would have been about... That would have been 1995. 95. 95. Yeah, I Sorry, was born... I was... The, Yes, yes, your maths is way off. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> You're not that old. No. December 79, there we um, go. I was born. Um, so, yeah, so 1995. Now, obviously, during that period, the mid-90s, social attitudes were very different again. Um, legalities were, you know, were very different. Well, that's it. As a, as a teenager growing up when, I mean, uh, yeah, the age of consent would have been 21. 21. Indeed. So you're immediately made to feel different from your peers who mm -hmm. are, you know, if the age of consent is 16, going off yeah. and shagging and you're there sort of going, yeah, cheers. Yeah. Mate, I well, can't do it. To be honest, I mean, it was also because, as, as I said, there was, you know, there was no internet particularly. I couldn't, there was no, I, I, I did wonder for a while whether, you know, I was the only one, uh, the only guy in the village, so mm. to speak. Um and obviously back then, you know, on television, we had no really positive gay role models, people that were out. We had we had men who were camp and always used as uh, used their sort of uh, flamboyancy as, as a humorous. It was comic relief, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But there were no out and proud sort of gay people. I remember when um, Fashion Who came out, the footballer and. I mean, the, the, the reaction, the public reaction, the press reaction, my God, it was horrific. And we all know, obviously, how that ended, tragically. And it was very much of, a, of an era. And it took, my, it took my family a while to get used to it. They're, I mean, they're, they're great. You know, they're, I'd love them dearly. I speak to them every day. They're, you know, they have no issue with it now. But it, it, took, it took education because they'd been indoctrinated to think a certain way and to 
to think that gay people were these, you know, sort of dirty, depraved people. But again, you've got to look at the era that they were brought up in. My parents were born in the 50s when being gay was still illegal. You know, it was still considered a, a, a mental disorder. So again, it's generational. Um, you know, these. So it took it took me a while to retrain my parents and re-educate them. Um, and once they saw, obviously, that it wasn't everything that they had, uh, you know, believed it to be, then of course they they they've come around to the idea. And I think it is about education. And then, uh, obviously, I mean, you know, my career started at fourteen. So whilst I'm dealing with all of this, I'm also working professionally as an actor and at school and, you know, sort of, so I had quite a bit on my plate, really, when I think about it for a a 15 year old. Yeah. And I mean, you you say you came out to your parents when Mm. you were 15. Did you come out to other people? Did you come out to classmates at school? I did. I came out at school. Um, That was sort of accidental. Um, uh, It wasn't, um, I didn't make some, you know, huge song and a dance about it which is most unlike me, <laughs> as you'll know. Yes. <laughs> um, I told a friend at school and then, of course, she told somebody and they told someone and by lunchtime, it, you know, sort of whipped around the school. And my, the senior school that I was at was there were around 2,000 pupils. It was a sports academy. And, I mean, for anyone that knows me, knows that I am, <laughs> I am actually physically allergic to sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know my sort of place within the school was very much the class clown I would be singing an assembly or playing the piano or doing whatever it was very much performance based obviously as you can imagine because yeah but you stick me on a rugby pitch or a hockey field no 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 Absolutely not. So it went round the school very, very quickly. Now, bearing in mind also at this age, I'd already done a few telly jobs and things like that. So any, you know, I, I, I used to sort of draw attention to myself at school inadvertently anyway. I stood out. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was absolutely horrific. There were several people who I will not name um, that made my life a absolute living hell you know and because of section 28 there was no support or anything from... there was absolutely no support at all but i tell you what there was one well in fact there were a couple of teachers but one that really stands out in my mind who went above and beyond um i heard that she died sadly a couple of years ago actually which i, I was really sad about because she was she was just wonderful she was my geography teacher and um she was incredible. I mean, gave me so much support um, because at the time I'd lost a lot of weight. I was really stressed and I'd gone from being a very confident sort of lad to being quite introverted. And, you know, and she used to um, she used to lock me into her uh, classroom at lunch so that I could eat in there without being beaten up. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, it, it, she was lovely. She was lovely. Um, but then, of course, I, I finished my GCSEs um, and uh, and then was offered a place at a musical theatre uh, school in Maidenhead in Berkshire. Um, they were also my agent as well. So um, so at 16, I moved I moved down south um, and then I spent I spent. I don't know how many years I lived in Maidenhead, but I was I was there for quite some time. In between that, I was backwards and forwards from LA, and you know, doing all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, and things sort of you know were wonderful actually. Once I got to musical theatre school, yeah. obviously <laughs> nobody gave a shit that I was gay, <laughs> and it was it was a really lovely uh, couple of years to meet just the people who just didn't they didn't give a shit they weren't you know closed to it they it was lovely it was lovely and I think probably for the first time in my adolescent life I felt like I really belonged do you know what I mean absolutely yeah Yeah. I'm I'm sort of fascinated by well a couple of things really first of all what was your sort of uh sexual awakening did you have any crushes or things oh god yeah I was at a sports academy ah Jesus Christ (laughs) I was surrounded by rugby playing <laughs> lads yeah i mean of course there were several crushes at school yeah i mean it's it's crazy now and because i and because i never stayed in touch with anybody from my high school i've often wondered now how many people out of that year 
actually ended up being gay because there was certainly nobody else out at school while I was there. And what's been lovely to see um, and what's been interesting is when I've gone into schools and, you know, a, a, you know, to do a talk or whatever about LGBT subject matters of late, uh, you know, certainly the older ends of the school, you know, the sixth form, lower six, they now, you know, it's quite, it's, it's quite normal and common for people to be out at school and have relationships with other people they're at school with and things like that. And I, to see that progression is, is fantastic because growing up in the era that I did, I never genuinely never thought I would see the social and legal sort of acceptance, no. uh, you know, that we, and, and sort of, you know, that, that we have now and equality that we have now. A few years ago, I was, I was doing London Pride, which I've done every single year since 1997. And uh, I was on the, the ITV float. I was with a friend of mine, Woody, who I work with. Um, she's a lesbian. And uh, we were on this float together and we'd have a lovely day. The, you know, the weather was stunning and we may or may not have had a little bit of gin. You. And, <laughs> and uh, we came through Trafalgar Square on this, on the float. And there were around, I don't know, 12, 15,000 people stood in Trafalgar Square. Wow. There was so much love there. You know, it was a celebration. There were families. There were people holding heart signs. And, you know, it was just the, 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 the euphoric feeling of togetherness and unity and love within that space was just beautiful. And I had started to cry. And Woody said to me, are you all right? I said, Jack, I can't believe the difference that I, I have witnessed in my life. That, that when I compare 20 years ago, you know, not well, a bit over 20 years ago, the first, you know, my first Pride march through London, the atmosphere was dangerous. And, you know, there was a lot of people sort of still placarding at the sides of the roads but but against us, not for us. Yeah. It was still very much a political march. And to see now those people being replaced by mums and dads with their kids waving at us and blowing kisses has has been truly more than I ever anticipated that I would be able to see in in my lifetime. And therefore, I made a choice as well. I mean, 20 years ago, there were very few out people in the in the mainstream media media. and i made a choice just after shakespeare and love had come out i i i I made a decision that i would always be open about my sexuality publicly Mm. and i knew because my management certainly in la and in 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 the uk had said to me you know this this will have um consequences on your career However, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a choice, really. I pretend to be other people for a living. I am not willing to pretend to be somebody else in my personal life. Yes. Um, I've chosen to be and work in. I've been very fortunate enough to, you know, to have had a 27-year career in the public eye. Well, therefore, you know, I owe it to myself and I owe it to other people like me to not hide away or hide or be ashamed of what I am. I also don't need to wear it because as much as um, being, uh, being gay is, is, is a part of me, it is, it is, it's an incredibly important part. However, it is a very, very small part of me. It doesn't dictate anything else around me about me other than the fact that I am attracted to men and the amount of people over the years and that have come I was I was stood in Euston station uh, and a woman came up to me this is I don't know six seven years ago and uh, she said who are you are you Daniel Brocklebank and I said yeah I thought she was just gonna ask for a selfie (laughs) and uh, she started to cry and I said oh you're right (laughs) You have that effect she, on a lot of people, in fairness. <laughs> and uh, she said, I just, I need to thank you for what you've done for my son. And I said, well, I, well, and she said, you've given him so much confidence. Thank you for being visible. And she threw her arms around me. And I, I got a bit bloody teary as well. And she walked away. And I was like, oh, 
oh my God, then it was all worth it. It was all worth it. I've had a few people say the same about their kids, actually, thanking me for, for my visibility for, you know. And then at the time, I didn't really think that about doing it for anybody else. No, no, <laughs> you know? just, just so you could live comfortably and So that I could live comfortably in my own yeah. skin. And absolutely, because I always knew that if I hid my sexuality from the press and everything else, at some point they would find out and then it would be a far more sensationalistic story. Well, why it would sort of be weaponized against absolutely. you. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, I think, you know, in life, if, if you don't take ownerships, ownership of things, they can take ownership of you eventually so i think for me it was the right choice to take ownership and it did have a detrimental effect on my castability certainly in the states and uh which i'm pleased to see now that um you know there is less and less of that going on but i do believe that it's because of people like me that chose to not hide it it's interesting you talking there has raised quite a few things i'd like to go back on Mm. actually first of all the idea of being visible and sort of as you say growing up as a kid in the 90s Mm. uh, a lot of the gay characters or personalities you'd see on screen would be quite camp and and Mm. one note you know Mm. the the sort of stereotype for one Mm. and i didn't identify with them that was another thing i remember thinking at the time these this these these characters they do not represent me I'm like them, but I'm not like them. <laughs> Which is great. I, I think, more, you know, the more visibility there is in, in drama and, and mm. just the world, the more yeah. people get that you don't have to follow a certain way. I was going to ask mm. whether you, you felt you had to behave in a certain way when you um, came out. but Yes, and I think, I think uh, probably I felt like I needed to act a certain way. I, did, I felt like maybe, maybe I needed to wear my sexuality for a while until it felt comfortable in my skin. Hmm. And then once I realized, actually, I didn't need to wear anything at all. I just needed to be. Then there was sort of, yeah, no need anymore. But also, do you think that came from uh, at that period? Sex education was obviously very heterosexual at schools. I didn't even have any at school. Oh. I n- never had sexual education at school, ever. I may have, you know, they may have taught it, but I may have not been there because if you, you must remember, my final two years at school, my GCSE years at mainstream school were spent, I was away working on jobs. So I'd disappear off doing a play for three months or filming something else for, you know, whatever and come back. So I, I did miss quite a lot of my last two years of school. So I, they may have taught it. I don't want to get the school into trouble for not teaching the no, curriculum. No, no. curriculum. But, you know, sex education would have been limited and, and gay uh, sex education almost non-existent. So actually knowing you were gay without an education in what it really meant, was that mm-hmm. quite frightening? Because all the stuff you'd seen would have been stuff like the John Hurt yes. adverts. Yeah, well, I thought it was, a, I mean, genuinely, I thought it was a death sentence. I genuinely thought that, I mean, I, I, was, I was, and not in a good way, obsessed with HIV and sexual health making sure that I was safe, that I was clean, that I was tested. And, you know, I mean, just, and of course back then, oh my God, it used to take six weeks for your test results to come back. Oh Oh God. (laughs) The wait, Jesus Christ. I mean, I remember when it went down to two weeks because I've always been very careful about my, my sexual health because when I grew up, HIV and AIDS was a death sentence and I've lost friends. Uh, You know, I've, I've nursed friends. I've, we've, it's, you know, it's obviously it isn't thankfully now the sentence that it was people live long normal life expectancies healthy lives and cannot pass it on you know providing they're on the right medication obviously so the the things have moved on tremendously but when i was young that was not the case hiv and aids was still a death sentence and it was something that i was utterly terrified of contracting and like you say there was no sex education and because of the lack of internet and things like that the the, the resources were almost non-existent, especially in a rural setting. Once I'd moved to London, well, moved to Maidenhead, um, which of course isn't that far from London, so I was in London all the time um, for auditions, voiceovers, whatever. Once I was in a much more cosmopolitan environment, then of course information became easier to get. Uh, Once I started meeting more people that were like me, then obviously information is shared. As as time went on, I became less scared of it. Never uh, less careful. No, but but less. You understood scared. it more, and yes, 
Absolutely, yeah. Do you remember the first time you met another gay person? Oh, that's interesting. It just sounds like, you know, having lived quite an isolated uh, rural upbringing. Yeah, you'd have thought that I'd have, yeah, that, that I would have made a really big sort of... Well, the th- well, yeah, I mean, well, no, i tell you what. Yeah, I do. I mean, and I would have been a kid because I, I did Amdram with my grandmother. Mm. Um, and there were, there were people within the Amateur Dramatic Society. Um, so I would have been 10. And there was a couple. There were a couple. And we, my, my grandmother and I went round to theirs for a little garden party one afternoon. On a, oh. on a, 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 so I would have, yeah, so I would have been 10. But, but of course, my grandmother never acknowledged that they were a couple. They just lived together. Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they, they lived together. Do you think your grandmother knew, but they were actually more accepting than you may have given them credit for? Or Oh, no, they were all shocked. I mean, how the oh, hell right. they were shocked, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I, but yeah, no, they were all absolutely. Um, yeah, very surprised. Because I think, you know, they had a very stereotypical view of what a gay man was like. And to them, it was it was John Ingman. You know, mm. it was somebody very camp and whatever. And because I didn't fit into that bracket um, necessarily, it didn't make sense to them. They were like, what? Did you ever feel that you were maybe misleading people because you didn't fit into their expectations? Yes. Well, the thing with coming out, I've realised, is that it never you never stop coming out. Mm. Ever, you know, you you come out to the hairdresser when when she asks you about your wife, yeah, <laughs> or the cab driver when you know when he assumes that your partner is female or whatever. Obviously, it happens less for me now because it's I'm you know I'm a relatively well known gay, so I it it does it, people now you know assume that I'm straight less. But you know, coming out never never stops, and it, it but, but what it does do is get easier. How do you react when someone does that? When they, you know, you're in a store and they give you vouchers for your girlfriend or something like that? Oh well, I'll, I mean, I'll generally make some joke about it. I'm like, you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as I said, it, it very rarely happens. It mm. very rarely happens to me, and certainly now I've barely left the house in twelve months. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it very rarely happens that. And people would assume um, now that I'm that I'm straight, but it's it's you know I think just it, the society at large is just so much more comfortable with people mm. uh, like us now, which is great. Um, I mean, obviously the trans movement is I, I would I would say probably twenty years behind the gay one. You know, I think there's yes. still a long way to go there in terms of legalities, acceptance, understanding. Um, you know, but for me personally, the things that I was fighting for in my youth, the thing, the reasons I was marching at Pride, things like legal age of consent, the ability to marry, the ability to be able to have a kid. Yeah. Th- those were the things that my generation and the generations before were fighting for. And I, I, for me, I feel like I can rest a little bit now because, you know, there's, there's still a long way to go with everything. But for me, all of those things that I ever dreamt of or wanted have have come true. Oh, hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us every day. We do a podcast called Cabin Fever, where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, Dave, were you yawning at the start of that sentence then? Was it just a little yawn? Yeah, it's basically the Great Big Owl isolation podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your Ruler Threes, your Brian Rogers, your Musicals, your Bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting because, let's face it, they got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bill. All right, see you soon. Lots of love. Cabin F-E-A-3709. Oh, 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 that's our Twitter name. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You were talking about how when you came out, being gay was almost a death sentence. Mm. And as you say, the age of consent was far higher than the mm-hmm. heterosexual age of consent. And, yep. you know, marriage wasn't even on the horizon, never mind adopting kids or anything like that. So yeah. did you, as much as you dreamed of that sort of lifestyle, did you ever imagine you might have it? Or did you always picture yourself just in a couple? Oh, well, I mean, I've, I've always been a bit of a hopeless romantic. Uh, however, I mean, my, my life has actually ended up being, I'm like, Liza Minnelli on a budget. I mean, I've you know I've had more failed relationships than I can shake a stick at. Oh, but what However, a budget! <laughs> but what my my ideal? I mean, I thought by now at forty one, I'd always hoped that I would be you know settled down with kids by now. Mm. Um, but in my youth, I never thought that that was going to be possible. Not because. I wouldn't find anybody, which actually turned out to be the case, but because I thought that it would never be legally possible to to live like that, to have a life like that. Um, my values have always been quite traditional where relationships are concerned. And I, uh, yeah, I think that I didn't think it was ever going to be possible in my lifetime to to have that. Sort of on that note, not not you being single, but Going back to, you know, you reaching Maidenhead and sort of exploring, mm-hmm. did you embrace the, the sort of gay scene or were you quite tentative to put yourself out there? Well, I mean, to be honest, I'm very rare. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually a very gay gay in that respect. You know, I, I'm quite happy having a pint down my local. I don't feel the need to be around gay people to feel comfortable. I'm quite happy in straight environments. I know a lot of gay people who aren't. Um, and only go to, you know, sort of LGBT plus venues. Whereas for me, that's never been the case. And also feel actually that, you know, I, I, I would feel like I was restricting myself if I only wanted to go to gay places or hang out with gay people or talk about gay things. Or Do you know what I mean? I think, you know, as, as the whole point of all of us fighting for what we wanted was equality. And equality means we don't have to segregate ourselves anymore. We don't need the safety of the gay scene anymore like we did. You know, the, the scene for me was somewhere that provided safety in numbers. But wonderfully, you know, I, I, I feel more and more that as society accepts us more that we, we need to hide ourselves away less. But I, of course, in my youth, do remember the first time I bought the Gay Times. Oh, oh my God, I was in WH Smith. <laughs> oh, my God, it was, and it was on the top shelf in those days. And, oh, God, heart pounding, sweaty palms. My God, because if, if I buy the Gay Times, the person selling it to me is going to know that I'm gay. Like, just terrified, hand shaking as you're putting it down on the counter, you know, adrenaline. You oh, turn God. it the other way around in the hope that mm-hmm. they'd only scan the back cover or the something. Back, and, yeah. and who would they have told, you know? Well, who, who, no one's going to stop why, and why shout. Why would they have given the, a shit? Yeah. <laughs> why would they have given a shit? You know, that's the question. But, but and, I, and I do remember walking through Soho and looking into, it was Rupert Street bar on Rupert Street um, and remember, you know, wanting to walk in but being utterly terrified, same sort of feeling again, mm. heart pounding in your chest, you know, dry mouth, sweaty palms, a mixture of abject fear and excitement. And then, of course, you know, you do, or I was, you know, brave enough to go in. And, uh, of course, as with anything, you know, it gets less scary the more you do it. But as I said, it's never been for me. I've never felt, I mean, most of my friends are straight, mm. actually. Most of them. I do have obviously gay friends. I mean, not obvi- they're not obviously gay, but <laughs> do, I, do, I do have gay friends, obviously. Um, but, you know, actually, predominantly, I would say that the majority of my, um, my mates are straight. And I've never, yeah, it's not, it's not something, you know, I love the gay scene. I've had very, a lot of fun on it. 
but it's never been something that I've, I've fully ever immersed myself in and only ever sort of, you know, been around. Yeah. Big question now. Mm. Do you remember your first gay experience? <laughs> I, and I'll let you define that how you wish. Yes, I do. I remember it very clearly. Yeah. 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 Um, end the question there. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. Moving on. I remember it. I do. Um, and it was um, it was with another a boy that I was at school with. Ah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go into details because no. I believe he's now married with kids. So <laughs> yes, don't name names. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, I do remember it very with very sort of fond, tender memories. Yeah, and. In terms of dating, it's so easy for people now with apps. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, can you call that dating? Is that dating? I don't know. The apps for me are just not a, a thing. I cannot get my head around them. I just do not like, I don't like the immediacy of sex. I, th- I find, I just, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Well, you're I a romantic, sex. yeah. Uh, I love sex, but just having somebody knock, rock up at my house who I don't know and haven't even had a coffee. No, thank you. No, no, no. That's not to say, you know, if I was on a night out and, you you know, if you've met somebody, you've actually spoken with them, you've, you've, you've talked to them, you've had a few drinks with them, you've got their energy, you've, you've sort of, you know, but somebody just rocking up out of the, no, 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 not for me. Thank you. No, I'm not judging people who do it, I, by the way. I'm not stating that or, you know, looking down on people who do it. I'm just saying it, it's just not for me. I'm, I'm, I am a, a bit of a romantic. And I, I'm, I love connections. I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time now, Scott, and, you know, worked together many times. Hmm. And, you know, for me, you know, when we're, when we're sat in all that, you know, we're a room together, we're all doing a script reading or whatever, and we're laughing and it's all, you know, that for me is human connection. That is, you know, interesting people, interesting chat, good banter. And then, of course, if you, you know, sexually side of things, there's got to be that as well. Do you know yes. what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, on the subject of apps and how mm. you don't use them, am I right in thinking, though, you once had to prove yourself to an app company oh. <laughs> because they didn't believe you were you? Yeah, it, well, this wasn't an app. It was an actual dating site. Ah. Um, um, <laughs> because I thought, well, the apps seem a bit overly sexualized to me. They seem more about immediacy rather than longevity. Yeah. So I thought, right, well, I'll have a look at actual websites. Maybe there's, you know, now, obviously, being on the telly and stuff, it does make dating quite difficult generally. Anyway, so I filled out all the, 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 the you know, the forms and everything else and sent it all off. And <laughs> I got an email from the board of administrators saying that my profile was in breach of their terms and conditions um, and would be deleted if it wasn't changed. I thought, well, what the bloody hell? So I went back and I read the terms and conditions and it was things like no gratuitous language, no nudity. I, right? I've not... Well, there's, I haven't put any of those. So I emailed them back and I said, well, thank you for your response. However, I've been back and looked at your terms and conditions and I've been back and looked at my profile and I'm not breaching any of your terms and conditions. And they promptly replied with, you are impersonating the actor Daniel Brocklebank. <laughs> We do not allow fake profiles on our um, platform. And I emailed them back and I said, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am Daniel Brocklebank. And they sent back a screen grab of my Twitter account and said, why would somebody with this many followers need to be on a dating website? So I, I sort of, yeah, so I, well, I, so I allowed, you know, obviously disappeared. My profile was <laughs> removed and then I promptly tweeted it and uh, tweeted that they had, <laughs> and of course then it ended up in all the national press that I'd just been banned from a dating <laughs> website for impersonating myself. So actually I got more people knowing that I was single and available <laughs> than I ever would have done if I'd used their site. So oh, it was a great. stunt, wasn't it? You just thought, how can I get the press on my side? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh dear. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it, 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 I think it is difficult dating in when you when you're in, in the public eye mm. for a few reasons. Some of which come from your perspective, and some of which come from others. I think I've become more wary of people. Yeah. Um. As 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 the the longer my career has gone on, thankfully, it, you know, I've, I've 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 generally had a very consistent um 
uh, with you know being consistent with work but with that working in a public a consistent public arena comes a constant sort of um stream or trickle of press attention or public attention sometimes more than others has that changed with the way you know the digital sort of eras advanced oh massively you know, social yeah. media's just exploded oh, and unbelievable i mean the first 10 years of my career were, were analog Yes. You know, and then, you know, the last sort of 15, 16 years have been very much digital. Um, of course, everybody's got a, a camera on them now, which they didn't have then. You know, people record, you can record your conversations without you knowing, which they couldn't back then. I mean, which I'm doing even, now. You don't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, we, we couldn't even text people that weren't on the same network than us back We'd then. have to pay 10 pence a text. Yeah. You really have to yeah. ration your mm-hmm. words. Yeah. Yeah, that's where all the abbreviations came from, obviously. Couldn't even send photos. No, oh, no. Well, you couldn't even text at first. And then you could only text people on the same network yes. as you. And then you could, I mean, it was <laughs> honestly. Yeah, but, you know, so things were very different in my youth, personally and career-wise. And I think that um, you have to grow a very thick skin being in, you know, in the, in the public eye, purely and simply because... The majority of the time, you are either talked to or talked about as if you were a product. People often don't when commenting to you. I mean, you know, and including your at name on various social media platforms or talking about you, whether it's an article or whatever, they don't consider for a second that you are a person with feelings that what they're saying about you might hurt or upset you. Um, whether it's because they don't consider it or whether it's they don't care, I'm obviously you know that, that that would vary. I'm assuming. However, yes, I mean you know with things like social media, I very much had to um, apply the, the the thought process of what other people think about me is none of my business. Because if you started to take some of, the, I mean, I'm not saying for a second I'm remotely bullied or you know harassed online, but. You know, people occasionally you do read something about yourself or read somebody sends something to you that is bloody horrible. Mm. And you do have to just be able to let that go. Sometimes it's easier than others. And therefore, I do choose, you know, I very rarely do things like this, for example, where I'm opening up and talking about actual personal life experiences. Well, I'm very flattered that you said yes. Um, well, it's because I know you and you're a friend and, you know, it's, it's, it feels like a safe environment to be able to discuss those things. However, I do feel that my my life is very public professionally um, and therefore it's important for me to have as much personal life as I can because that is mine. Mm. There is a very, a very public side of Daniel Brocklebank and then, there's, and then there's me. And they are the same person, of course. I'm not putting on an act when I'm in public. However, it is important to retain stuff that is just yours for you yeah because the 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 fame side of things it's not real and you only realize that once you are it (laughs) yeah it's 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 such an odd thing you know i take my dogs out for a walk every day a friend of mine uh, was walking with me and said god this really is quite an experience i said what do you mean and he said well Everybody we've passed has either said hello to you, acknowledged you, taken a picture of you, elbowed the person they're with and pointed at you. He said, do you not notice that, you know, and I said, well, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's my job. It's part of the course. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I can't take my face off. Um, <laughs> so when I'm out, I am aware to some degree that wherever I am, you're being, you know, viewed and that mm. can be at times quite nerve-wracking um it can be unpleasant it can also be absolutely lovely most time people are are absolutely delightful but you know um you sometimes there is a there there is a vulnerability that comes with it as well and therefore a need to protect yourself and in terms of dating i think it's difficult because people either meet you and and have a preconceived idea of who they think you're going to be Mm. or they have absolutely no idea who you are, which is great, but then are horrified at how little anonymity and privacy you have when you're out in public with them. Because it is traumatic when, you know, if you, if you go in through a breakup or something and it's mm. splashed across all the bloody tabloids and, you know, you're dealing with that anyway. 
you're dealing with the emotion. It's not, it's not you know, to have the added pressure of members of the public coming up to you in Sainsbury's going, oh, I'm sorry to hear about you. And, you know, and you're like, oh, God, oh, thank you. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, so yes, I, I, I make, I try, I try my hardest to sort of keep my private life just that. I mean, honestly, it's so dull. <laughs> people wouldn't be interested anyway i'm barely interested <laughs> that's just you and the dogs yeah it is it is it's just me and the bloody dogs and i love the dogs you know but it is just me and the dogs and obviously especially at the moment well everybody's locked in their houses i mean you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm in alone uh, and I've spent the majority of the last 12 months in solitary isolation, which, I, you know, has been brilliant for me in some ways and absolutely catastrophic for me in others. Um, and, um, yeah, so obviously at the moment my life is, is, is more boring than, <laughs> than normal. Um, but, uh, I mean, realistically, I, I am. I mean, you've worked with me enough times now. When I finish work, ah, no, a couple of pints after work with everybody. Yeah. Home, dinner, bed. You know, that is my life. <laughs> or was. So we've just sort of talked about your recent dating stuff, but your, your, back in the early days, do you remember your first proper relationship and how significant was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my first sort of proper significant relationship um, lasted about three years. We lived together in London and then during uh, our relationship... I um, had to move up to Stratford-upon-Avon to a season with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And um, he ultimately ended up moving to Stratford uh, with me uh, after about a year. Because, you know, it's a two-year, I think it was a two-year job, I think, if my memory serves me correctly. Because we toured, we were in the States for, you know, six months. And, um, and, then, and then we brought the shows down into the West End as well. And he moved. And yeah, I mean, it was, of course, it was, you know, it was my first, my first love, you know, and my, my first sort of attempt at married bliss. You know, uh, I would have been in my early 20s, 2020, 21, something like that. And he was older than me. He was older than me. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've only had really what I would consider three serious relationships. Um and and you know we in in all three cases lived together um one case we we owned you know property together and so yeah they were long term and serious um yeah, i've been single i mean you know i moved i moved up to manchester for coronation street in 2015 i started in the show 2014 moved up 2015 and i have i have had relationships in that time since um but nothing yet that has progressed to sort of a serious level where we would, you know, be living together and considering sort of sharing a life in that respect. Do you have a particular type? Is there anything you, you're always looking out for in a man? Humour is is vital. I mean, you've got to be able to laugh. Mm. And I mean, well, you know, I mean... I'm, you're a very silly person. I'm a ridiculously silly person. And I think... I think my my inability to take things seriously <laughs> can grate <laughs> my my morning chipperness. I think is uh, <laughs> is a little exuberant um, for for others. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, humour is is very important, and I think, I mean, for me, it, it's like I said earlier, it's about connection. It's about being able to sit and chat and. I feel your mind expanding and growing because of this person um you know to to it's i think interaction interesting people are what i love most mm. and i think in a in a romantic sense if you can sit if you're friends if you if you can sit down you want to hang out with each other you want to just sit and talk about everything and anything until the sun comes up again it's all very romantic i re i do realize it's all a little bit you know filmic um Maybe that's where I'm going wrong. <laughs> Do you think that's why you wanted to become an actor? Is you just always lived in in your own head in a sort of film? Yeah, potentially. I suppose there is there is a joy in um, being able to embody somebody else for a while and mm. an intrigue into somebody else's psychological journey, their their sort of psyche as opposed to your own. How would this person think? How would they react in this situation? 
I'm not sure my sort of romantic tendencies are why I became an actor necessarily. I think actually it was because it was <laughs> it was the only thing I've I'd ever been any good at. <laughs> well, maybe maybe flip it then. Does being an actor mean you then see your own life in a in a sort of dramatic way with sunsets <laughs> dramatic and... oh my goodness no <laughs> <laughs> i suppose so yes it must have some effect yeah i suppose i suppose so um and it's not um you know i mean I, i'm not bridget jones do you know what i mean i don't sit here sort of thinking oh, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly happy you know i i have a i have an exceptional life um and it is very full with beautiful people a job i adore a wonderful family and you know it, it's very full it would be of course lovely um to have uh, to find somebody to sort of share all the crazy you know stuff that life throws at you with however I'm I'm perfectly um, happy as it is. So therefore, you know, that person would have to be pretty special to warrant uh, gaining access. But looking back, how long do you think it took you to be truly comfortable with yourself and your sexuality? Or is it still a sort of constant mm. work in progress? No, no, I think now I am, I am at a full sort of level of self-acceptance with it and I think probably it took me until oh I probably would have been I guess into my late 20s realistically maybe you know 28 27 28 mm. and I, th I think that had a lot to do with um my last that was my I met in um 2007 so I would have been 27 I met a guy who I was with for years, many, many years. And we had a lovely relationship and he was so much fun and was so beautifully comfortable with himself mm. and just quite unconsciously went through life just living it <laughs> without ever fearing judgment or, I don't know, it, there, was, there was an amazing sort of, energy about him and i think it, being with him sort of made me care less and worry less about who and, and and what i was and obviously as my career's gone on more i've i've been forced to publicly own it more and therefore that also changes your your mindset and is that sort of what you aspire to inspire in others i guess well i i think i mean you know i i look at the younger generations and I'm so pleased that they don't have to experience any of the stuff that me, my generation, or, or the people that became before me had to experience. And obviously the people that were before me had it even harder. Um, and I th it's wonderful to see the younger generations living f much more freely. Mm. and comfortably than we were um, ever allowed to be. Um, however, I do think it's important, incredibly important, for the younger generations to know what it was like and therefore not take these liberties for granted. Having been on both sides now, I mean, the, the, as I said, the progression that I've seen in legalities, social attitude, you know, in the 20, however many years it's been since I came out, has been phenomenal. I mean, I might be getting on for 30 odd years. I mean, it is, it is 20, 26 years since I came out. I mean, that's, wow. you know. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's not a, a not insignificant amount of time. It's not. No, it's, it is, you know, it's a long time. And, um, you know, the change has been dramatic, a lot quicker than I'd ever anticipated. And, um, but, it, I, but I, it, it's incredibly important, I think, to, this is why shows like It's a Sin are so mm. not, not only are they incredible pieces of television beautifully shot wonderfully written amazingly directed incredibly cast you know everything about it was it was sublime but at the time people didn't want to know so yeah, of it's sort of only didn't. now that yeah it's it's ripe to be explored and, and presented to people yeah yeah and i think i think what something like that show does is it will inadvertently teach the younger generations what it was like in the 80s, mm. what it was like in the 90s. I mean, obviously, shows like Queer as Folk were groundbreaking um, back then. I mean, I, I actually auditioned. I got down to the last three to play the 15-year-old boy in Queer as Folk. 
Oh. And that was the first time I met Russell. Oh, lovely Russell. Lovely Russell. Who, you, who Russell. you must bump into in Manchester we back do, when you could do. bump yeah, into people. We, well, yeah, I mean, often, you know, if I was walking through Media City and Russell had been in to either, you know, BBC or whatever, and had a meeting, we'd... Yeah, we've bumped into each other quite a lot. And we do we do message each other um, uh, fairly regularly. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've, I think Queer as Folk was obviously groundbreaking at the time. But I think looking back now, when you watch it, a lot of it was for shock. You know, it was shock value. It was shock, you know, whatever. Well, the underage sex. and Yeah, I mean, like you know, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, it's... I mean, even with It's a Sin, you know, obviously the first episode, it was, there was, you know, a bit, a bit of sex. And it was really interesting to see how the media portrayed that. Yes, particularly know. off the back of other recent series like Absolutely. Industry, where the tabloids sell it as all oh, this titillating sex scenes. Yep. And, and, and then the gay drama gets the, ooh, ooh, ooh. Dirty, filthy. Yeah, dirty, <laughs> filthy. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I think those, it, it, I think it's going to be, an, it's, a, it's a brilliantly um, accurate portrayal of of what society felt like for the gay people mm. at that period and growing up in that era myself yeah i remember it all too well i remember the social stigma the you know everything everything all the all the hideousness of it um and i think it will be great for the younger generations to see that stuff and realize where they've come from and what people went through to allow them to be who they are today and finally, just mm. to wrap things up, because I've kept yep. you for so long and you've been so brilliant. Oh, bless you. How important do you think the bond is between sort of queer people and, and what does that sort of community mean to you? Well, as I've said, I'm actually, I mean, I, you know, I'm, 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 of course I'm part of the community because, you know, I'm gay. But as I said, my life doesn't revolve around the community. I'm part of it. Um, and I think for certain people, it is very much needed because it might be the only support that they have. I'm very lucky that, you know, I've got a beautiful family, beautiful friends. But for some people, it is a lifeline, the community. And I think at times when we do all need to stick together, you know, we do. However, you know, obviously, even within our community, there are differencing opinions, difference in opinions on, on all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, just because we're all part of the same community doesn't mean we've all got to like each other we, or, or like what somebody else has got to say. I mean, I certainly don't go around wanting everybody to like me or like my opinions. I don't go around liking everybody or liking everybody else's opinions. So why should I expect that the other way around? But it, it is a community that does need to stand together and have open discussions, mm. um, you know, to be able to help each other, support each other, understand each other. Because although we may all be bunched together in this long list of letters, it doesn't mean that actually we're all the same people. No. Because as I said, my sexuality is, is, is a very important part of me, but it is also a very, it's a small part of me. There is so much else that makes me me. And my sexuality is, is just another one of those facets. Bless you. You're all gorgeous thank you so oh, much for so chatting lovely with to, it's so lovely to hear you so lovely to hear you it was a hoot to be able to catch up and chat with dan who we're extremely grateful to for finding time to be able to talk with us away from the cobbles of cory please keep getting in touch with us to let us know what you're enjoying you can follow us on twitter and instagram at queer to eternity or rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts We'll be back very soon for more. Until then, stay safe and thanks again for listening. And this is Bitchin'. I'm dyslexic. Yeah, why do you read the Wikipedia page? <laughs> it's good to practice. Yeah. A podcast where every week we talk about a different person. So how old was he when he first popped on the scene? That's a great If question. you say he was my age, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking die. And we veer wildly off track. Pop that Prosec. <laughs> Available on all your podcast apps. <laughs>
just can you not say podcast. uh in the advert <laughs> available on all your podcast platforms just search bitchin or great big owl we'll see you there that was all right <laughs> 